This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for a free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 31, Writing Romance. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And I love you. <laughs> that was kind of creepy. We are here. Uh, Dan and I, Howard, are here at Life, the Universe, and Everything with special guests from the Appendix podcast. I'm Sarah Eden. I write Regency era romance, which I think is why I'm here. <laughs> and I am uh, Robinson Wells, and I write YA dystopia that has romance in it. Oh. Yes, it does. And that's, that's what we want to emphasize right off the bat here, is we're not talking about writing a romance novel, but romance as a concept can and probably should be in most things that you write in, in, to some degree. So we're going to talk about how that gets included. Even Larry's book, Monster Hunter International, which was basically an ode to how fun it is to shoot things in the face, <laughs> had a love story in it. Also punch things in the neck. Also punching things in the neck. So let's talk about romance. And we are going to just shoot this straight over at Sarah. Uh, you are our romance expert. Um, tell us how to write romance. And you need to write it well. Okay, then. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> By the way, uh, we should also mention that we are at Life, the Universe, and Everything um, at Brigham Young University, a writing conference, and uh, we have a wonderful studio audience here. Say hello. They, they're actually, this studio audience is awesome. They follow instructions really well. Uh, everybody makes sounds like monkeys. <laughs> All right. That was so romantic. <laughs> okay, let's give Sarah a slightly uh, more focused question that will be easier yes, to answer. You. Okay. Um, what makes a romance scene bad? What's what's like? What makes a horrible romance scene in a book, or or just the romance overall in a book? What do you hate to see when you read a book and go, oh, really? Um, romance to me is all about emotion. Um, when someone reads a romance or comes across a romance scene, they want it to be an emotional experience. And too often, it's just kind of thrown in. There's no build-up to it. And if there's no build-up, there can't be any emotional payoff. So for me, I want, I want to see it coming. I want it to be a payoff, not a filler. And too often, that's how it's written. And we are having applause, because yes. that was excellent. Um, Rob? How about you? What what do you hate to see in a romance? What do I hate to see? Well, I have I have a good thing. A hate thing. Okay, what do you love to see in a romance? Who? <laughs> um, skin. Um. <laughs> especially no, especially I, in the printed work. I mean, the, the pages of human skin. That's those are the kind of books. The Necronomicon writes. is yeah. not a romance novel. Yes, no. Um, yes. I. I would say what, what makes the romance uh, work really well is I think that, that the reader has to have, to some extent, has to be falling in love with, with whoever it is. If the, uh, if the character is falling in, so in love with somebody, but the reader doesn't like that romantic interest at all, uh, then your reader uh, is not going to have the emotional connection and is also going to be kind of pissed off. They're going to be rooting against that relationship working. Your reader has to like the, that character as much as your character likes the romantic character. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sarah. I never write romance, so I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. But, if, I mean, if, that, if the person that they're falling in love with that the reader hates is the shaky leg of the, uh, of the love triangle, you know, it's the, 
it's the person that the reader is supposed to not want them to fall in love with, or falling in love with them anyway, then you're actually doing it right, right? Well, it depends because, I mean, if, and she's the expert, but uh, what I was gonna say is, is if you are going to make it plausible for a character uh, to fall in love with somebody else, even if, you, I mean, you as the reader know, knows that they're not going to uh, eventually end up with that person. I think that there has to be some initial attraction. You have to understand why the character would like them. Uh, I mean, they can't be all horrible. Uh, the, the character who is falling in love has to have a reason that they're falling in love, and the, character, and the reader has to understand that reason. And yet they don't have to be entirely lovable. You don't have to, like I said, be rooting for them from the very beginning, but there has to be something at least intriguing about that character. And, and the, the classic example of this is Pride and Prejudice, Absolutely. which is, in my opinion, one of the best love stories ever. Um, and those are two people who initially hate each other because they are both initially kind of jerks. Yes. Um, and the whole purpose of the story is to show slowly not only that they are falling in love, but why, you know? Yes. She does not fall in love with Darcy just because the plot requires it to, but because he does good things and he shows himself to be worthy of her love and by the end you believe it and it works well and to, to howard's point i mean you've got wickham in there in uh, pride and prejudice who is of course the guy that you don't want her to end up with but in the beginning i mean he has qualities that you can see why the girls like him I just want to say the fact that the Wells brothers know enough about Pride and Prejudice to discuss it on an intellectual level has significantly increased my respect for them. <laughs> well and done. I love the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Regency headshot. <laughs> All right, Let's bring Larry back up. <laughs> I, I want to talk specifically now about love triangles. What, what is it that uh, makes that such a, an iconic kind of plot device, Sarah? Uh, well, it, it's a great way to create romantic tension in a book. Uh, as a reader, we want the, the character we're rooting for, our main character generally, to have their happily ever after, but we're not sure how they're going to obtain it. And we spend a great deal of the book trying to decide which side we're rooting for. And as an author, if you can pull a reader between the two sides, you've created tension that's going to carry them through to the end. Excellent. So, uh, regardless of how you feel about other elements, the whole uh, Team Edward, Team Jacob thing was very successful. Oh, absolutely. It was exceptionally well done. Yeah, as a love triangle, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to pause just a moment for our book of the week. Our book of the week this week is I Don't Want to Kill You, the third book in Dan Wells' John Cleaver series. This is the sequel to I Am Not a Serial Killer and Mr. Monster. And I've got to tell you, having read all three of these books now, they are amazing. And this book, uh, Dan just knocks it absolutely out of the park. And I'm not saying this because I have to sit next to him when we record or because of all those you know, fun times we've shared at LTUE and other conventions. I'm saying this because this is really uh, one of the very, very best books I've read in recent memory. And I think you should read it. Or you should have it read to you by Kirby Hayborn, uh, who narrates the book uh, on Audible. Go out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, uh, kick off a free trial membership, and you can get I Don't Want to Kill You read to you for free. And that... <laughs> okay, the, I thought we'd had this audience better trained. <laughs> 
And monkey noises. No, this is a romance panel. I want kissy noises. Oh, I feel so... Okay. That sounded like skittering bugs. <laughs> okay. I think we have a writing prompt. Anyway, um, let, let's go back and now let's... let's we, we talked to Sarah what, what she hates to see in a romance. What do, you, what do you like to see? How do you make, when you are writing your own novels, how do you make uh, the audience fall in love with your characters? Again, it goes a great deal back to emotion. I want them from the very beginning to have at least one side of the romantic um, connection that they're really cheering for, that you have enough empathy for them or enough, you can relate to them enough that you want to see them achieve this happily ever after. In an actual romance, that is the point of the book. In a romantic subplot, that's more or less the point. You want to see it come to a fulfilling, happy ending. In order for that ending to be fulfilling, the relationship needs to be fulfilling. So I want to see the two characters um, meet a need in each other. I want them to create a relationship that has emotional resonance, and I want them to be something for each other that no one else could be. And when you do that, they become an essential unit. They become one, and you want to see that in a romance. I, I think that that is fantastic advice, and I hope everybody wrote that down. The, the two characters falling in love should meet a need in each other. They should complete each other, as cheesy as that sounds, <laughs> in some way or another. Um, because that is really, you know, what makes a relationship work, is that they are filling that need. Can you give us an example from your own work, sir? From my own work? Absolutely. Uh, my most recent title that came out is entitled The Kiss of a Stranger. And in this book, we begin by meeting this man who, because of various disappointments in his life, has become something of a cynic and doesn't really believe that people are genuine. But in order for him to really, truly be happy and he needs to recognize that there is goodness in the world and he meets this uh, young woman who is that way she's had a very very difficult life but has come out of it with a much more optimistic view of the world and by coming to know her he begins to shed some of that armor that he's been hiding behind so they really are a good fit for each other even though they have their issues and they meet this need she needs to meet someone who's kind underneath it but he also needs to meet someone who has that optimism that he's lacking. Very good. I like to tell people that the third book in my series is called I Don't Want to Kill You. I love telling people that that's a romance novel because <laughs> it does have a strong love story in it. And that was my goal as I went through was, you know, here's John Cleaver, the teenage sociopath who's obsessed with death and serial killers. I really want to get him into social situations. I've already seen him kill monsters. I want to get him into social situations. because That's new and scary. And so, you know, what girl can I find that meets a need that he has? a non-violent need that he has. <laughs> and so it was a load of fun to write that book. And I hope that you guys like that, that uh, character as much as I do, of this girl who kind of comes into his life. And I won't tell you uh, exactly what happens, because it's a horror novel. But um, it, it uh, you know, has that kind of, you know, she had to come in. She had to, she had to, I was about to say she had to open him up, but that kind of gives the wrong impression. Uh, she had to, to get him to, to let go and to cut loose a little bit and kind of become more active. And Howard's over here just dying oh, man. of laughter. And then he's going to open her up. <laughs> Have you read it? That's not fair. No spoilers. 
so you know, talk about you, you talk about meeting talk about meeting a need. Um, I get email fairly regularly from people who who tell me that uh, Captain Dagon in Schlock Mercenary really really need the girlfriend. What what is it about him that has him you know single at age 49? Leading around a group of uh, essentially sociopathic man children, um, you know, and uh, you know he needs he needs to find some sort of fulfillment. And um, rest assured, I know this. I know that this character is broken, and at some point I may choose to put romance in there. Now that uh, Sarah has explained to me that I need to find somebody who completes the other side of the equation, you know, who has a need that somehow a six foot two inch svelte long sociopath can fill. Uh, maybe I'm getting my advice from Dan. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know now I think I got a pretty good idea of how the, how the formula is going to work. And since it's all formula and no heart in comics. Well, and now, Howard, you said earlier you don't write romance, but you do, because Kevin and Elf got together. And I thought that that was a very good story. Now, how did you go about putting them together? Um, I started with what I felt was the most unlikely matchup anywhere in the group, because Elf had already said um, in, uh, in a different timeline, different Elf, but same, same core personality, had already said of Kevin, he's too thinky. Um, and, and Kevin is not enamored of, of the grunts. And I, I say enamored of, he doesn't really appreciate the, you know, the whole shoot him thing. He, he wants somebody he can talk to on an intellectual level. And, uh, and then the two of them sit down, are forced to work together because the company needs new armor and she knows how to wear it and he is supposed to know how to design it. Um, and she sits down with the help file for the fabbing equipment and discovers that she has a real gift for making this equipment work. And as frustrating as that is for him, he recognizes that that's neat. And she's actually pretty smart. She's not educated. She hasn't studied anything, but she opened up the help file for crying out loud. Um, but look at what she made. Look at what she made. And, and that connection grew into something that was just kind of fun. Those characters are still fairly dissimilar, but uh, you know, she loves him now for his brain because he appreciated the fact that, I mean, besides the fact that he's tall and sexy, he appreciated the fact that she's really smart. Not educated, but really smart. Bob, I want to hear an example from Variant, because you've got, uh, I, I consider there to be two pretty good uh, little love stories going on in there. How did you go about building those up? Oh, looks not even out yet. Well, okay, just don't, no spoilers. <laughs> um, no spoilers. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, one of the relationships, the book is, is essentially about, uh, a kid who is locked in a high school, which is essentially a prison. There are no adults there. He, you know, there is no contact with the outside world. They don't know who is watching them and who is controlling them, but they, but somebody is. And uh, and the main character is a kid from uh, uh, the slums of Pittsburgh, who has always uh, he's been in foster care all his life, bumped around. Uh, he has never had a relationship with anyone. Uh, um, and pretty much that's how everyone in this school is, is that uh, the school is taking people who no one else will miss. He has no friends, he has no strong ties anywhere. So he gets to this, to this uh, school um, that he has been uh, looking forward to as kind of the solution to his problems and finds out that it is, is uh, much worse than where 
was before. Um, and uh, and the girl that uh, that he meets, uh, she's been there for years uh, in this situation, and uh, and she is essentially saying to him that uh, um, that things can be good, that uh, that this situation for all of the bad things that it has. Uh, you can still have relationships. This can be what he wants. Um, that uh, that they can make things work. And so, so she very much fills the need that he has, the, those desires that he had in coming to this place, um, and uh, and that is really what makes their relationship work. Now, the thing I find interesting here is that all the examples that everyone has just given follow that advice from Sarah that the characters need to find something that you know completes the other person that the other person needs and that that's what draws them together initially also you know the other key thing to remember here is that uh, you need to have that emotional connection not only between the characters but with the reader if you don't care about a person you're not going to care whether they fall in love or not so we are out of time so we have a writing prompt from sarah awesome okay here's our prompt i want you to create a character and then come up with a complementary character that will fulfill a need in that character. So you're creating a couple based on the need they can fulfill in each other. Okay, and they will have complementary things, but I think they will also have, you should also put in uh, opposing things. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're braiding two roses together and the thorns are going to hurt. Yep. How poetic. <laughs> That's from Dave Wolverton, actually. Oh. Wow. So, all right, you are out of excuses, now go right. Do you guys want us to play a game? Do you guys want us to play a game? Okay. We have like three we have, minutes we have left. Like so this three is going to be a Jordo, fast game. Jordo, go ahead and keep the tape running or fire the tape up again or whatever because uh, this is uh, A1 bonus plus bonus material for the CD set thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, are we playing uh, Bad or Romance? Robinson, you got to use this mic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is going to be romance novel. Okay. Bad romance. The three of you are playing. All right. Introduce, okay, we, it take 10 oh, seconds, yes. introduce the game. Okay, Bad Romance. We take, uh, this is a game that we play on the Appendix podcast. Uh, it, we take a, a, the plot description from a Harlequin romance novel, and then uh, we create a story by changing the genre of that romance novel, and then adding a new character, and then a new plot element. And so the, uh, the romance novel that we're going to be taking right now is called Champagne with a Celebrity by Kate Hardy. Right. Beautiful socialite Amber Wynn is constantly featured in the press, usually for her spectacularly bad love life. But when Amber meets gorgeous Frenchman Guy Lefebvre at a wedding, <laughs> she begins to wonder if her very public persona could be stopping her from finding love. Uh, blah, 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 blah. He's a darkly mesmeric parfumier. Just so you know. All Darkly right. mesmeric parfumier. There's three words that yes. began with an adverb. <laughs> so, so beautiful socialite, spectacularly bad love life. He is a gorgeous Frenchman. Who makes uh, Yeah, there you right. go. Darkly. Oh, she has a secret that could shatter his world. Perfect. And Sarah has to start by changing this to a... Sorry. Oh, fan fiction. <laughs> Nice. Um, and I'm going to say fan fiction of the love boat. No, 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 we're already in a love. 
already in a love story. No, already, already in a love, in a love story. story. Don't do that. Say like Battlestar Galactica. Uh, let's just go Star Wars. Make it easy. Okay, wonderful. Okay, Amber or Autumn, what was her first her name? Her name is Amber. Amber Wynn. Amber. Okay, Amber Wynn has always had a deep desire to be a stormtrooper. She's, she's a little short. Um, <laughs> in fact, when she first came to apply for the job, she was asked, aren't you a little short for yep. a stormtrooper? Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, so, she ha she's always wanted to do that, but it has been prevented because of her shortness. And so instead, she has become a socialite. She dates the stormtroopers, but has spectacularly bad relationships with them. Um, when she visits the planet of Tantooine, she runs into Guy, who makes uh, perfume specifically for... Uh, Tauntauns. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And of course, the perfume is quite dark. And mesmeric. And of course, her secret is that she wants secretly wants to be a sand person as well. There you go. I'm tossing that off. Okay. Am I adding a character? You are adding a character, and the character who you are adding is a all these work. The world's strongest man. Nice. Which world's strongest man? The galaxy's well, strongest on, man. No, 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 They're on Tatooine. We've on... already established that. Right. Uh, the only person on Tatooine I know of who's capable of moving thousands of pounds around is moving thousands of pounds of his own bulk around <laughs> our very own Jabba the Hutt! <laughs> and I think we have our love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to Dan? Yes, yeah. we are. Buried treasure. Buried treasure. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> all right, so we have Amber Wynn, the, uh, the, the uh, fallen-out stormtrooper, washed-out stormtrooper, and we have uh, Guy Lefebvre, the darkly mesmeric Tonton perfumier, and, uh, and we are all on Tatooine, uh, in a mixed-up love triangle with Jabba the Hutt, who, of course, was supplying the vital ingredients that Guy Lefebvre needs for his... Uh, I just like to say that word. Well, ne he's, needs he's for his perfume. I know. Ordered from Hoth. No, it's, it's hard to get. There's no, there's no bases on Hoth, as we know. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, the thing is that uh, one of the key ingredients gets lost and buried in the folds of Jabba's corpulent flesh. <laughs> And must be pulled out, and thus she has to woo him. She has to, to woo him uh, and seduce him close. to get close enough, which is very dangerous because she knows that if she does it wrong, that she'll become rancor food, yes. and thus we have uh, the end of our story because she does it wrong and becomes <laughs> rancor. Food. We're out of excuses. If you sat through all two hours of this, we apologize. <laughs> but thank you very much for coming. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 